that we can cling to in these moments? Well, God always speaks and he is faithful to do so. Now, we're in Mark chapter 5. By this time, Jesus has been preaching and traveling. Back in chapter 4, verse 35, he left Capernaum on a boat to travel across the Sea of Galilee. On the way, he stills a storm with his word, uh, and in doing, he does it in order to challenge Uh, the lack of faith in his disciples. He arrives on the other side to encounter a man who is possessed by a legion of demons, thousands. He's tortured by them. So Jesus casts them out into pigs, and the pigs run it, jump off into the sea and drown themselves. And apparently that was the only reason Jesus had crossed, to teach his disciples and to cast out these demons, because Mark tells us he gets back in the boat and he goes back over. And that's where we pick up the story in Mark 5:21 and that's where I'll begin reading. This is what the spirit says. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, "My little daughter is at the point of death." Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. 
And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Let's pray. Father, now we come with open ears and open hearts to hear your word. We pray that you will give grace in this moment, that you will strengthen the one who speaks by your spirit to speak clearly and truthfully your word, and that you will strengthen all of us who listen with your spirit, that we might hear and love and respond rightly to your word. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, as we think about this story, there are basically only two things that I want to point out. The first is what we see here is that faith seeks Jesus. There will be no PowerPoint. There will be no slides. Anything I quote, you're just going to have to catch. But faith seeks Jesus. That's what we see at the beginning of this text. Jairus is a synagogue ruler, and he comes and seeks the Lord Jesus on behalf of his little girl. Now, a synagogue ruler would be in charge of the financial well-being of the synagogue, the physical well-being of the synagogue. He would schedule those who were going to read the Torah, their scriptures. Uh, He would schedule those who were going to pray, to lead in prayer, those who were going to preach. It was an important position. It was an honorable position. It was a respectable position. And yet here he is, face down in the sand humbling himself before Jesus, begging him to come, to help, to heal. Listen to him. Listen to it. Verse 22, Then then came one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. Now, if you paid attention all through this text, those two little words, made well, came up at least three times. But here's this synagogue ruler, this important and respectable man, face down in the sand, begging Jesus. Now, why would such an important man do that? Why would he throw himself down like this? Well, one might be tempted to immediately say, well, because his daughter is very sick. Well, yes, but he doesn't throw himself down in front of just anybody. He doesn't go from person to person throwing himself down. He throws himself down at the feet of Jesus. And he begs him to come. Why would he do that? The answer is, it's an expression of faith. Jairus expresses faith when he says, come and lay hands on her so that she may be made well and live. The so that there is a statement of certainty. Jairus believes that if Jesus shows up and lays his hands on his little girl, she will live. She'll get out of bed. She'll run and play like she used to. He'll hear her giggle as she has great adventures of imagination. He'll get to watch her grow up. He'll get to see her become a woman and get married and have children of her own. He'll get to have the joy of becoming a grandfather. Jesus, if you lay your hands on her, all that'll happen. She'll live. I know it. 
That's what Jairus is saying. He believes in Jesus' ability to save his girl. But friend, while it's faith, it's not blind faith. This is actually reasoned faith. Jairus isn't reaching into the dark hoping to find an answer. He's got good reason to believe that Jesus can do something here. What is that reason? Well, we'll just go to the Gospel of Mark. If you just flip backwards to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, you'll see that Jesus is in Capernaum. And, he's, and on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Now, who's the ruler of the synagogue? Jairus. Jesus enters the synagogue, and he starts teaching, and people are amazed at his power in his teaching. And then verse 23, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked them, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Then chapter 2. Now, After a little while... Jesus leaves and he goes about preaching in Galilee. But in chapter 2, verse 1, he comes back to Capernaum after some days. And he was in a certain man's home. And do you know what happened? The crowd showed up. I mean, wouldn't you expect that? This man is taught like nobody else. He's been, te- he's been healing. He's been teaching. And now he's back. And it cr- they crowd into this home so that you can't even get through the door. And four men show up and they have a friend who's a paralytic. And they want to get him to Jesus because they know Jesus can do something about this. But they can't get through the door. So they get up on the roof and they, they dig through the, the, the roof. Can you imagine if you're having a small group Bible study at your home? And all of a sudden you hear something above you. You think maybe a squirrel's in the attic. And then a sledgehammer comes through the ceiling. Well, here is Jesus. And why do they lower him? Because they know Jesus can do something. And Jesus surprises everyone by first forgiving his sin. But then he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin, I say to you, get up and take your mat and walk. And you know what the man did? He got up and he took his mat and walked. And do you know where that happened? Capernaum. Who's the synagogue ruler in Capernaum? Jairus. Chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus enters the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, meaning the scribes and Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. That happened in the synagogue at Capernaum. And who is the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum? Jairus. Now, sometime in these days, Jairus' little girl gets sick. And probably they thought it was a pretty routine illness at first. Get her a damp cloth for her head. Have her drink plenty of water. Maybe a few days rest. Well, after a few days rest, she didn't get better. She got worse. Each day, she looked more pale, weaker, unable to play, unable to stand, unable to walk, unable to eat, 
sleeping more and more and more. And about this time, sometime in there, Jairus got the news. Jesus has come back to Capernaum. His boat lands in the port and a crowd gathers at the shore to greet him, to listen to him, to bring their sick so that he might heal them, to follow him around. And Jairus maybe thinks to himself, this this Jesus who had cast out a demon in the synagogue, this Jesus who had healed the paralytic, this Jesus who restored a withered man's hand, this Jesus can help my little girl. I have to get him over here so that he can help. He's powerful, but he's also compassionate. He will heal her. So then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. That last little sentence at the beginning of verse 24 is Jesus agreeing to go, agreeing to see the little girl, agreeing to lay hands on her, agreeing to heal her. But on the walk from the shore to Jairus' house, Jesus is delayed. A woman catches his attention, a woman who's been suffering for 12 years. She presses through the crowd just to touch him. That's that's all she needs. Verse 28, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. There's that little phrase again. She knew of Jesus' help too. She knew he could help her. She knew he could heal and she acted on that faith. She went and she found him and she touched his garment and she was well. But Jesus doesn't just go on. Jesus stops. He doesn't stop, you see, because he has to do something. He stops because he wants to make something very clear. Look at verse 30. Jesus, perceiving that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, Daughter, touching my garments made you well. Jesus wants to make it very clear that this is not about the magical power of touching the hem of his garment. It is her faith that has made her well. Now, in that moment, in those few seconds, as Jesus commends her faith and says, Your faith has made you well, can you imagine the encouragement in Jairus' soul? He had come to Jesus in faith. He threw himself down at Jesus' feet in faith. He begged him to come in faith. He knows that Jesus' touch will heal his daughter because of his faith. I mean, we've been there too, haven't we? 
We know God's power. We know that if He intervenes, He will reverse everything. The descent into cancer and financial ruin or any other life-changing, life-destroying circumstance can be turned around by the power of the one to whom we pray. We know that the downward spiral of suffering can be reversed by the Lord because He is Lord. And we know that because we see His power throughout the Scriptures, don't we? We see that by His very Word, everything was made out of nothing. We see over and over again in the Old Testament signs and wonders as God saves and provides for His people. We see it in the ministry of Jesus as He exercises authority over demons and over nature and over disease. We know it because the Lord upholds all of creation by the word of His power. We know it because God Almighty is sovereign over every molecule in every body at every moment. Without question. You know why else we know it? We know it because we've seen him answer prayer. We've seen him answer prayer in our own lives. We've seen him do things that seemed impossible in the lives of those around us, of those in our family, of our friends. And so we go to the Lord with confidence, knowing that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. If he is willing, he can do it. In fact, those were the very words of the leper in Mark chapter 1, verse 45. If you are willing, Jesus, you can. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Behold, our God seated on the throne. Friends, nothing ties the hands of God when He wants to do something. Nothing restrains God from accomplishing His purposes. Nothing. We pray knowing He can. He can. He can. And it may be that as Jairus sees this woman healed and hears Jesus' words about her faith, his confidence in what Jesus can do grows. And maybe he's thinking, he can. He can. He can. And then, while he was still speaking... There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you imagine the shock? What, what, what now? I had faith that he could heal her. I just, I just knew that he would. But now, but now she's dead. It's over. 
But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Can you imagine? I mean, put yourself in Jairus' shoes, right? What are you talking about, Jesus? Didn't you hear them? Don't you understand? She is dead. What is my faith going to do now? Jairus seeks Jesus by faith. And now, as things don't even just look hopeless, but look gone, Jesus calls Jairus to stay steady, to not throw in the towel just yet. He says, do not fear, only believe. Trust me, Jesus says. Don't walk by sight at this moment, Jairus. Don't let your mind dwell on the death of your daughter. Set your gaze on me. Do not fear. Only believe. And having said that, the story continues. And Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. So what we have seen is that faith seeks Jesus. And what does Jesus do? That's the second thing. Jesus conquers death. Faith seeks Jesus. And Jesus conquers death. Jesus arrives at the house with Jairus and Peter and James and John to find these what would be professional mourners have arrived. They're weeping and they're wailing and then they're laughing because Jesus insists that this girl is not dead. She is only sleeping. What are you talking about, Jesus? The doctor has already come and pronounced it. She's not breathing. Her heart has stopped. She's not moving. It is over. Well, Jesus didn't come here to debate, so he just keeps them all out so that it's just him and his three disciples and the little girl's parents and the little girl herself in the room. 
And Jesus sits down next to this small, lifeless body and takes her by the hand and says, Sweetheart, it's time to get up. That's my paraphrase. You see, these are words, these are tender words, these are gentle words, these are endearing words. These aren't the command of Jesus to demons to come out of someone. This is the tender and sweet call of Jesus to the girl, sweetheart. It is time to get up. Now, waking our own children up can sometimes be a battle, but do you remember when they were little and do you remember when it was sweet to wake them up? Do you remember at the end of a car ride or something, they would have fallen asleep and you don't want to jolt them, so you just say, buddy, sweetie, it's time to get up. We're home. I remember going into my children's rooms when they were small and taking just a second to see them sleeping. I'd just say their name or say some endearing nickname or just stroke their hair or just stroke their arm and say it's time to get up. And their eyes would slowly open and they would yawn and they would stretch and then they would get up. And what we have here is that same kind of tender moment with Jesus gently waking up this little girl, not from a nap like we know naps, but from the sleep of death. Her eyes open, she stretches, she yawns, she gets up, She's walking, she's dancing, she's twirling, she's singing. It's as if she were never sick in the first place. The power of Jesus conquers the power of death with a mere word. The same kind of thing happened in John chapter 11 with Jesus' friend Lazarus. But Lazarus hadn't been dead for minutes or for hours. He had been dead four days. When Jesus arrives on the scene, uh, Lazarus' sister says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. It's the same kind of faith that Jairus expressed when he first went to Jesus. Jesus can keep death away. Jesus can keep death's cold, dark hand from taking the ones we love. He can give us more time with them, another day, another week, another year. He can make it so that sisters don't have to bury their brothers. He can make it to where parents don't have to bury their little girls or their little boys. If you had been here, my brother would not be dead. But he wasn't there. And Lazarus is in the grave. And some folks are saying, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? I mean, is this Jesus really powerful? Does he really care? If he can't keep death away, if he, can't, if he won't stop death from busting down the door, what good is he? But Jesus doesn't listen to that. He doesn't respond. He walks out to the tomb. He has the stone rolled away. And this is all he says. Lazarus, come out. Not unlike the sim simplicity of the words with this little girl, is it? Lazarus, I know you're sleeping in there. But it's time to get up. Uh, some have said, and I think with good reason, that if Jesus had not specified that Lazarus come out, the whole cemetery would have emptied. 
because that is the power of Jesus. But he looks at his friend's grave and he, he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, under the bandages, opens his eyes and stretches and begin and comes out of the grave. Jesus conquers death with a mere word. But back to our story. Friends, it's important that we actually realize that Jairus' faith didn't fall flat. He wasn't clinging to a Jesus who failed him, who left him with no hope. Certainly, the circumstance did not go as he had expected. He thought a sick girl would be healed. Instead, he watched his sick girl. He didn't watch, but his sick girl died. Jairus had to go through the pain of hearing it, the shock of walking in and seeing her there, of losing her. And in that moment, maybe only by a thread clinging to Jesus' words, do not fear, only believe. But have you ever asked why? Why did she have to die? Why not just keep her from dying? Well, Mark doesn't answer that. But I think the Bible actually does. I think the Bible teaches us that there's something more glorious about conquering death after it's arrived than keeping death from coming. I actually think the entire story of the Bible teaches us that. Because God did not lose his grip on his creation when Adam and Eve fell. There is something more glorious about a fallen humanity destined to die and dying and being spiritually dead and then being raised to life spiritually and then being raised to life physically. There is something greater about that than the fall never happening. Now, if that doesn't make smoke come out of your ears, I don't know what will. But God did not go oops in Genesis 3 and say, I better do something about this. His goal, Jesus Christ, according to Revelation, is the lamb that was crucified before the foundation of the world. God's plan before he ever said, let there be light, was let there be my redeemed people. Let there be a Savior of the world who will be born in the city of David, and he is Christ the Lord. There is something greater about death being conquered after it comes than keeping death from coming at all. And actually, we see that explicitly in that story I mentioned in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. Because at first, Lazarus is just sick, and and his sisters send for Jesus to come. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But the thing is, Lazarus did die. (laughs) What Jesus is saying before the death ever came was that it wouldn't be the end. God had a bigger goal in mind than simply stopping death. God's goal was that through the illness, through the death, 
something greater would be achieved. The glory of God and the glory of Jesus, the Son of God. You see, there is something greater about conquering death after it comes than keeping death from coming. And everything in our society says otherwise. Everything in our society says the, the big point in life is just keep death from, from coming. If we can just do anything we can to keep death from coming, keep death from coming. Medicine, okay, I'll do that if it keeps death from coming. Pray, okay, I'll do that if it keeps death from coming. Do this, okay, I'll do that if it keeps death from from coming, and yet nobody has succeeded in keeping death from coming. It comes later, it comes earlier. But you see, the Bible would say to us it is more glorious to be raised from the dead than to be kept from dying. So we as Christians must face our own death as well as the death of those that we love as Jesus tells Jairus to. Do not fear. Only believe. Why? <laughs> because death ain't going to have the last word. Do you believe that? Death isn't going to have the last word. Even for those who don't believe in Jesus, death isn't going to have the last word. God has the last word. Death isn't going to have the last laugh. God will have the last laugh. You see, this death-reversing event in Mark chapter 5 is just a pointer of what is to come because Jesus did not come to earth simply to reverse temporary death by His words. He came to defeat death permanently in His death and resurrection. Jesus stares death in the face, His own death, death on a cross, and He walks into it willingly, not just into the darkness of the end of physical life, but into the flaming, blazing furnace of the wrath of God, enduring the flames of God's judgment against our sin on our behalf. And there He dies. He stops breathing. His heart stops beating. And His lifeless body is laid in a grave. But as fierce as death is, as strong as its grip may be, it couldn't hold him. You see, on the third day, Acts 2 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. On the third day, death's hands were empty. And death's power was defeated. Death is swallowed up in victory, Paul writes. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Friends, it is gone. Gone. Yes, death takes, doesn't it? Death takes. It takes 
friends, it takes brothers, it takes sisters, it takes fathers, it takes mothers, it takes sons, it takes daughters, and it will take us. But for those who trust in Jesus because he has died for us and been raised again, though death may take us, it cannot keep us. We will be raised with him. And the victory that he has won will be ours too. Faith seeks Jesus. And Jesus conquers death. Friend, I wonder when that day comes, when death comes knocking at your door, when death comes to take you, when you lay down to sleep, what is it that the Lord will say to you? Will he say, depart from me? I never knew you. Because you ignored him. Because you ignored Jesus. Because you laughed at him and his salvation. Because you scoffed at the whole idea that you need to be forgiven in order to be made right with God. That you scoffed at the idea that you need to repent and follow Jesus. That you've just been acting your whole life on the assumption that it's just God's job to forgive. So he's going to forgive me anyway. Have you scoffed at the offer of Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world, the only one who has made atonement for your sin, the only one who can rescue you from death and hell, the only one who has absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf? Have you been scoffing at that? Maybe from a church pew, week after week? Will he say, depart from me, I never knew you, or will, or do you trust him? Are you trusting him now so that when that day comes and you lay down to sleep, he will sit next to your deathbed, so to speak, just as he sat next to this little girl, and take your hand and say, dear one, it's time to get up. Come on home. Enter your eternal rest. A rest of perfect peace and joy and glory. You see, friend, what you hear from Jesus on that day depends on what you do with Jesus today. Will you turn to him? Will you trust in him to save you? I mean, don't you see, like Jairus saw, he is the only hope of saving you. He is the only hope of being made well, of your soul being made well. Can't you see that? Won't you go to him? Won't you come by faith? Won't you leave everything behind? Won't you throw yourself down at his feet and plead for mercy? Come to him, my friend. Trust him, and you'll find, like Jairus, that he will meet your faith with mercy. He will bring hope to your hopelessness, and he will swallow up your death in victory and give you eternal life. What is stopping you? Press through the crowd. By faith and reach out to Jesus by faith, and you will be 
made well. So that you will be able to sing even as Cody and Stephanie surely can sing when peace like a river or when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever it is that is my lot, the Lord has taught me to say and to remember and to drive home and to cling to the fact that it is well. It is well with my soul. If it is not well with your soul, it can be today if you turn to Christ. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for your word, for the recorded life of Jesus and all that it teaches us. Lord, we are thankful that when faith seeks the Lord Jesus, Jesus conquers death. We know that we will face that day in our own lives, that last day. And for many of us, prior to that last day, we will face the last day of those we love. Help us to not fear, but to believe, knowing that you, the righteous judge of the earth, will do what is right. Knowing that all who trust in Christ will be saved from the wrath to come. And that though they are absent from the body, they will be present with the Lord. Knowing that one day you will raise, the Son of Man will speak, and all the graves will be emptied. And some will be raised to everlasting righteousness and peace and joy. And some will be raised to everlasting torment and judgment because they did not come to Jesus in faith. Because their sin condemns them. And so I pray for all who are considering these words this morning. Give us grace to walk by faith and not by sight. Give us grace in our grief. We pray in the name of the man of sorrows who was crushed on our behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.